and uh, welcome to Fate FM Drive Time Big Q&A. This is the program where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible, and where we look at the world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I am Nikita, your host, and thank you for tuning in. It's very good to have you with us today. We are broadcasting from Adelaide, a little bit unusual today, and if the sound may be a bit different than uh, other times, you may understand probably that uh, we are in lockdown here, and we are broadcasting from our homes. And uh, I would like to welcome our co-host for today, and uh, that's David Butcher. David, good to have you with us. Good afternoon, Nick, and uh, hello, listeners. It's uh, wonderful to uh, join with you in studying the Word of God. Now, as I mentioned, uh, David, this is a little bit different. It is, Nick. Uh, often we would be in our, our specially built studio, uh, sitting across a, a studio desk, looking at each other, and uh, we're separated probably by about 15 or 20 kilometres and looking at each other on Zoom and small screens, and things sound a bit different too sometimes. But thank God for the technology, David. Uh, we can connect with our listeners. We can, and and I guess, uh, Nick, um, uh, South Australia went into lockdown at 6 p.m. last night for a hoped-for seven-day period, hopefully a seven-day period. I, I guess uh, we're experiencing in South Australia what uh, our friends in Victoria and also New South Wales and other parts of the country have experienced before. Uh, I think uh, Melbourne and parts of Victoria are into their fifth lockdown, so it's a relatively new experience for us here, isn't it? Mm. Last night we were talking with uh, Pastor uh, Mark and we said we thought we we were in the promised land. Not so. You know, it came around to us now and probably we can um, understand and uh, feel with our um, uh, loved ones uh, interstate, you know, particularly with um, uh, people like Brad and Michael. When we are talking, they're always talking, oh, we are in lockdown here. Uh, but uh, hey, um, whatever happens, uh, David, uh, today we are going to talk about something special. Absolutely. Something that's really vital, actually, Nick. And um, I'm not sure about you, but um, I know uh, I've had three new cars in my life, okay? Three new cars. The first car, I, uh, new car I had, I sold it in a year and I only lost $1,000. Mm. The second new car I had, I kept for a few extra years. And um, unfortunately, in 2016, I, I had an old four-wheel drive living in Victoria and in the middle of the day, rolled the car, totaled the car. Uh, it was a write-off and I walked out of the car. It was a miracle on, on a mountain, on a, on a mountain, and uh, walked out with really um, just some glass in my head and some sort of glass under my eyes, no whiplash or anything, and um, wrote my car off. Anyway, a- as an outflow of that, it was really interesting because I'd been sharing with um, someone I was working with, a young guy who was working with me and um, as a team. And I said to him, I said, look, I have to have, um, you know, the transmission change. It's going to be 5,000. It needs new tires. It needs new bushes. It needs all of these things. The radiator was playing up. 
And um, I said it'd be easier to have the car written off. Now, God forbid, mm-hmm. but within within um, about a week and a half of that, that's exactly what happened. And it was an amazing event, really, in a way, because I believe there was a series of events uh, which I believe were uh, supernatural or demonic, if you like, and Satan was really trying to finish me off. Anyway, as an mm. outflow of that, I'd been looking and my wife and I, we knew we either had to spend money on my four-wheel drive or buy something. And, um, you know, I was sort of um, coveting, if you like, uh, which is probably part of today's topic, coveting the concept of being able to purchase a new car again because I did lots of travel. Mm-hmm. And um, at that stage, there was a brand-new Mazda CX-9 that had been launched, a brand-new model. And uh, I'd been looking at it online in the brochures for a couple of months before they hit Australia. And um, within three weeks of landing in Australia, uh, being released in Australia, I'd written off my car, and uh, that was the vehicle I was looking at. And uh, it was an amazing circumstances how I came about to purchasing one. Anyway, long and short of it, what I really want to say, Nick, is that um, – I'm a pretty fastidious person, you know, when I buy a piece of equipment or something electronic or whatever, I will look at the um, user's guide. I will, Mm -hmm. you know, put it together if I have to. I will read the manual. I'll be fastidious in doing it because that's the sort of person I am. However, besides a house, I purchased the most expensive thing that I've ever had to purchase, and that was a, a brand new car. Now, I've had it for five years now, and I can say... Uh, with some shame, I've never opened. I've I've opened it. I've never read the user's manual. Mm-hmm. Never read the vehicle manual. Now you might say, and our listeners might be thinking, "Well, that's crazy." You know, um, CX nine. It's not a BMW or it's not a Rolls Royce or Mercedes, but it was a brand new car. It was worth considerable money for me. Mm-hmm. And I've never read the user manual. I've opened it a couple of times to various pages. In fact, as I've been in the car, my son, has, uh, who's now 15 this year, he's actually said, Dad, this is what this button does and this is what this button does. And um, now you might say that's really foolish. You spend money and you don't read the car owner's manual. It's been designed by a manufacturer and the manual shows you how to look after it, how to care for it, how to get the most enjoyment from it. And in one sense, it maybe is a little bit foolish, but that's what I've done this time round, or failed to do. My son has been the one that's told me how to do everything. It's interesting, though, Nick, that's a story about a vehicle, right? Yes. But I believe we serve a creator God who made us, who formed us, yes. and he wants us to look at the user guide for human life, the user guide for humanity, so that we can experience life to the full. Mm. And so today we're going to be talking about God's directions for living. Absolutely. And David, in the previous programs, we were talking about uh, how do I deal with my past? And I hope that you learned some lessons there. (laughs) And also we talked about how do I grow spiritually? And um, life is for us to uh, learn uh, lots of things. If we, if we don't learn in life, then we are going to make even more worse mistakes, you know? Bad, Look, bad that, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And I do need to learn. Um, I think um, in my defense, Nick, 
because it was brand new, it was all covered under warranty. I knew which petrol to put in. I didn't have to touch the oil, didn't have to check the radiator. You know, it had regular checks, but that would be my excuse. But either way, it's not the best way of operating, is it? You need, mm. to, you need to look at the user guide, the user manual to live life to the full. And that's what we're looking at today. So, Nick, yes. um, if we want to live a successful life, we need to know what the guidebook is for life. And, um, and we need to know what it will do for us. So I want to invite our listeners um, to open their Bibles, or I guess they might be traveling, but to listen to the Word of God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And, Nick, you and I aren't opposite each other, so I'm not sure if you've got a Bible open there. Yes. Would you like to read 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, to, to know what God's guidebook for life is? Sure. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, truly equipped for every good work. Thank you. So this is telling us that Scripture, the Bible, um, it tells us what it's useful for. It's good for doctrine, for, for reproof, for rebuking us, for correcting us, for giving us the instructions on how to live. And it enables us to be complete, the text says, and equipped for every good work. So the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures, is God's guidebook for living a successful life. And um, I'm pleased to say, Nick, I haven't been as foolish with the Word of God as I have been with the user manual for my car. All right. That's, that's really good, uh, Pastor David. And I believe uh, uh, there are many uh, of us and maybe someone who's listening today uh, to say yes or to say something, you know, to approve what you're saying. Now, while I'm um, mentioning that, I like to just say to our listener, if you want to uh, be in touch with us, to be part of this program, you can always um, send us a message, a text message, and um, we'll be very happy to take it on board to talk about that. The number where you can uh, send a message is 04-888-808-11. Yes, David, uh, as you mentioned uh, before, now... What sort of instructions do we have in the Bible to live a better life? Yeah, look, it, it's very interesting. I think Jesus laid it all out uh, in what was required, what was needed to have eternal life, to be able to live forever with him. Uh, and this is what he said in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 22. Luke 18, verses 18 to 22. Uh, Jesus is dealing with a religious leader, a young man, and this is what the Bible says. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And the young man said, All these things... I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. 
Wow. Now, this story, Nick, it doesn't end very happily, does it? Yes. Uh, uh, if you look at, you know, first, uh, first look, you're right, yes. But yeah. there are some lessons to learn there. Oh, absolutely. But, but this young man who actually, if you read some of the gospel accounts, we were reading Luke, if you read some of the others, it says this, this ruler came running to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And what we find when he leaves, he leaves, uh, turns away, he's sorrowful, and he trudges away almost. And I'm not sure if we, in the Bible, if we hear about him again. No, and this man, he, he had so much going for him. He was young, he was rich, he was knowledgeable, he had good morals, he had the right aspirations, he asked the right question. How do I receive or what do I have to do to receive eternal life? And that is probably one of the most important questions that anyone can ask. And so Jesus here uh, basically outlined two things that are necessary for people to, to experience to have eternal life. And the first one of these is obeying the commandments and following him. First and second. The first one is obeying the commandments. Secondly, follow him. And how do I know that? This man asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Mm-hmm. And what did Jesus say there? Keep the law. Yeah, he said, you know the commandments. Don't yes. commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now, we know for a fact, and most Christians that, that um, know their way and can navigate their way a little bit around the Bible, uh, this um, this. Uh, Jesus is saying to this ruler, you need to keep the Ten Commandments. And we find them written in Exodus chapter 20, the very second book of the Bible. And Mm -hmm. Jesus is quoting uh, at least half, almost half of those commandments as an example of what people need to do. So to experience eternal life, people need to keep the commandments of God. But then there was one other thing. Jesus told him, um, because the young man said, look, I've done all of these things since I've been young. But Jesus said, look, hey, there's still something missing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me, and you'll have treasure in heaven. In other words, this man was keeping, um, he wasn't committing adultery, he wasn't killing anyone or murdering, he wasn't stealing, he wasn't lying, he honoured his parents. He had a show of outward compliance, but inwardly there was a bigger sin, and that was the sin of greed and selfishness and even covetousness. Mm. He wanted his riches. He couldn't part with them. So two things. Yeah, and and just before that, uh, David, maybe in in a theological um, word, you know, he was too much self-righteous, was it? Yeah, he was. He was confident in his own abilities, correct, or his own mm-hmm. moral standing. Yeah. And I think uh, Satan does one of two things for us. He either tells us we're terrible and too far from God and beyond salvation, or he will do the opposite. And you'll say, you're not such a bad person, Nick. Look mm-hmm. at you. You know, you're kind. You do all these things. You're traveling pretty good. And so if we're in that, um, in that end of the spectrum where Satan says we're not good enough, we feel discouraged. If we're in the other end of the spectrum where, where we sort of think we're doing quite well, and that's often a deception of Satan, we're in dangerous territory. Yes. So Jesus says, follow the, follow the commandments and then follow me. Now, it's interesting 
these two things, obeying the commandments of God and following them and also following Jesus, are traits of God's last day people. God's last generation that are living on the earth before Jesus comes back are doing these very things. And we find that in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. Have you got that there, Nick? Um, Revelation 12 verse 17. Yes. It says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So essentially, uh, John, he's uh, the last of the disciples that are alive. He's writing the book of Revelation on an island called Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. And God gives him this vision, which ends up being the book of Revelation. And in it, God gives him pictures of what is going to be happening and visions of what's going to be happening as he comes and before he comes and even after he returns. And one of the characteristics of God's people at the end of time is that uh, Satan will be waging war against them. Satan will be angry. He'll be enraged. But God's people will be characterized by the fact that they keep his commandments and they have the testimony or, if you like, the witness of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we might ask ourselves the question, why would Satan be enraged and angry with people who keep God's commandments? That's a very good question, yes. And I want to suggest perhaps the first four of those commandments, we won't delve into this today, but the first four of those commandments deal with our relationship with God, our love for God, Mm -hmm. and the last six with our love for fellow human beings. And I want to suggest there is something that Satan wants more than anything in the entire world, and that is our allegiance. He wants us to worship him. And if you're unsure of that, you can study um, Revelation 12 and particularly Revelation 13. And we'll get into these topics in another week. But Satan, through earthly powers at the end of time, is seeking people's worship. And there is a key reason why we worship God, and that's because he is our creator. Right. The Ten Commandments define that God is our creator, and Satan wants us to forget about that, and instead he wants our worship. And so at the end of time, Satan is angry with the followers of Jesus who keep all of God's commandments. Mm-hmm. Now, it must be important to say here, Nick, does keeping the commandments of God actually save us? No. What, what do you mean? Why not? I mean, if you, I mean there, um, even that uh, young ruler, which we mentioned a bit early, he thought that he keeps the commandments of God, but Jesus said you have to do more than that. Exactly. And what we need to remember, the Bible tells us we're all hopelessly lost. Mm-hmm. We're born in sin. We're enemies of God. Uh, there is none that are righteous, Paul says, no, not one. All our good works, all our righteousness, the prophet Isaiah says, are like filthy rags. In other words, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And yet God's people are characterized by being faithful to Jesus and in keeping his commandments. The Ten Commandments do not save us. They never can. And it's important to note that the purpose of God's law 
is that it reveals God's character. Mm -hmm. Because God says, um, I'm a God of, um, I'm a God of purity. He says, don't commit adultery. Because God has a character of, of, and values life. He says, don't kill. Because God is a, is an honest God. He says, thou shalt not lie. Because God is a giving God, he says, you will not steal. Because God is a God who, who, who loves us with an everlasting God, his Ten Commandments reflect his character. So an attack on the commandments of God is actually an attack on God himself. Yes. Because they reflect who he is. They mirror who he is. Yes. And it's interesting, Nick, that the Ten Commandments, in one form or another, are the basis of many Western governments' laws. You know, it's deemed to be wrong to steal. Yes. It's deemed to be wrong to murder. Even commit adultery, even though it's permissible in society, people know it's not the right thing to do. Correct. And people know that it's not the right thing to lie. And people know it's good to honour parents, and, and they shouldn't be honouring the parent in the sense if they're being abused. But, mm. but our commandments form the basis of many of uh, world government laws. And so the commandments don't save us. I want to suggest there that they reflect the character of God. Now, if God is perfect and holy and you and I are sinners, which we are, correct? Mm -hmm. um, then we are dirty, we are filthy. And when we look at the law of God or the commandments, it shows us how bad we really are. Yes. And, and, and David, may I ask you a question here? Why are then people, and even thinking of your Christians, so against the law of God? I know I heard many people saying, oh, you can be legalist. Yes. And probably the young ruler, maybe he was legalist. But it's interesting enough that uh, Jesus didn't say to him, no, 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 you, you can um, forget about those uh, commandments which you mentioned you, you need to do now uh, just these things you know sell whatever you have and come and follow me was that jesus saying to him that's what he was saying to to keep the commandments and yes yes and that's what i'm thinking why then um, christians are opposed to the law of god i think one is a misunderstanding nick um We've got a, we read our first text that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, that all scripture is inspired by God. Mm -hmm. We need to remember that the scriptures that the apostles and the Bible writers had and the scriptures that Jesus had were the Old Testament scriptures. And sadly, Satan, I believe, has um, deceived some Christians into thinking that the Old Testament was done away with at the cross. Mm. The Old Testament points to the coming Messiah. The Old Testament also looks forward to the return of Jesus. Yes. It gives us glimpses of Jesus all the way through, and people were saved by grace all the way through. In fact, the first occurrence of the word grace is in Genesis 6 when it says, and Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of God. There right. are not two different ways of salvation. There is only one way of salvation, that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hmm. So all of Scripture is profitable. Now, 
one of the misconceptions is is that people think that the Jews had to keep the law to be saved. That is wrong. Mm. That's what the Jews endeavoured to do, but it was the wrong approach. We don't keep the law to be saved. We keep the law by God's grace and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because we are in a saving relationship with Jesus. And that saving relationship with Jesus doesn't come about by anything that I do. It comes about by everything that Jesus has done for me on the cross. Right. Yes. So, so Nick, the purpose of the law is not to save us. It's not designed to save us, and it never can save us. The law shows us that we're sinners. It shows us that we're in need of a saviour. In fact, the law, if you like, is like a mirror. Mm-hmm. When I um, occasionally, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a bit of landscaping at home and paving and bits and pieces, and I'll come in sometimes from, from outside and I'll brush myself down and I'll go to have a shower and my wife will say to me, she'll say, you've got dirt all over your face and it's on your cheeks and you're filthy. And I will say, no, I'm not. I've brushed myself down. And, and Megan will say, yes, you need to. You've got a filthy face. And I'll say, no, I haven't. And she'll say, well, go and look in the mirror. So I'll go into the bathroom and I'll look in the mirror and guess what? Megan was right. My face mm-hmm. is dirty. Now, the mirror acts uh, is similar to the law. It shows us what we are really like. It, it reveals what we're like. We're sinners because the law is perfect. It is holy and good, and we are none of those things. So as I yeah. look into the law, I see myself as a sinner. I see my shame, my wretchedness. In need of a savior, yes. In yeah, need of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the mirror can't wash my mud off my face, but the mirror shows me I'm dirty. But then I go to the taps and I get soap and I wash my face and now I look in the mirror and I'm clean. Mm. So the mirror tells me I need to be washed. The law tells me I need a saviour. It drives me to Jesus. And so law and grace go together. And so, Nick, we might ask ourselves the question, um, what was uh, some of the Bible writers' attitude to the law? And I want to read uh, one, um, one verse, uh, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, verses 166 to 168. It says, Lord, I hope for your salvation. And this is David. And I yep. do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. So David is saying that he is obedient to the law of God and that he loves the law of God. It's something he delights in. It's interesting as well that um, Solomon, uh, the wisest man that ever lived, in one of his books, Ecclesiastes, right at the very end of the book, the wisest king, the wisest man that ever lived had this conclusion. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the Bible writers affirm that um, God's law is holy, it is good, it is profitable, it is wise, it brings joy. In fact, it's God's guidebook to give us uh, full joy and the experience that God wants to have us live. Okay, well, uh, uh, I believe uh, we need to pay attention 
for what God is saying in regard to the law and understand the meaning of the law, as you just uh, said a bit earlier. The law is not uh, that we are saved by law, we are saved by the grace of God. But uh, I remember when I was talking to a friend of mine and he said to me, uh, you are legalist. I say, why do you say that? Oh, because you emphasize a lot of the, on the law of God. And I said, I don't think so. I'm a legalist. I, I said, uh, um, and I don't keep the law to be saved. Because I am saved, I keep the law. It's a result of uh, having that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a love response, isn't it? Mm. And so, look, there is lots of confusion because the Bible talks in Colossians chapter 2, Nick, verses 13 to 17, talks about something being nailed to the cross. And this is where we can get a bit confused if we're not careful. Yes. I want you to listen to this. The Apostle Paul says, And you being dead in your trespasses, in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, mm. which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So that's Colossians 2, verses 13 to 17. And so right. some people will say, well, look, the law, which is against us, was nailed to the cross. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we don't need to keep the law. Now, I would agree with people and say that the law points out our sin. It points out our wretchedness. It points out our, our lostness, if you like. Mm -hmm. But the law was never designed to save us. So we need to understand what was nailed to the cross and what is it that was done away with. Oh, that's a very important uh, aspect, uh, David, to look into that. Uh, can you help us uh, uh, there and uh, just see the difference in between yeah, the law which was nailed on the cross and uh, um, the law which is valid? Yeah, look, absolutely. Nick, if you've got your Bible, it would be good if you're able to read Matthew five seventeen to 18. Matthew sure. five seventeen to 18. And in these verses, um, you know, we, we have Paul in Colossians talking about some um, you know, uh, something nailed to the cross and a shadow of things to come and these mm -hmm. sorts of things. But then we have Jesus in Matthew five seventeen to 18 saying something else about the law of God. Yes. And it says, um, David, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one title will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. There is a, there is a word here, David, which I believe can create a lot of confusion for people. Yes. That word is that Jesus fulfilled. Yes. And, and the word there in Greek, and, and if we've got Greek listeners and, and Greek speakers listening, you'll have to forgive my Greek, but uh, I pronounce it pleuro, hmm. and it simply means to perfect, to complete, to fulfill. 
to be the to be the uh, the end goal is not so, done away with not done away with no by no means mm. um in in fact you've well let's let's talk about it he says i haven't come to destroy the law of the prophets that's he hasn't come to destroy it yes but he's come to fulfill it he's come to live the law out in its fullest extent yes and then he says to prove that to prove that he hasn't come to destroy it he says, I say to you, till, not until heaven and earth pass away, there won't be one jot or one tittle that will um, by no means pass from the law until it's fulfilled. Mm-hmm. In other words, till heaven and earth pass away, the law will be uh, relevant, will be applicable. And he talks about not even one jot or one tittle. These are the smallest characters in the Hebrew alphabet. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying not even the smallest aspect of the law will be done away with until heaven and earth pass away. So if Jesus is saying he came to fulfill and live out the law to its fullest extent, and if you keep reading Matthew 5, just to prove this, that he hasn't come to do away with the law, he is uh, preaching on the Sermon on the Mount in this chapter, and he says, you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery. Yes. You know, he's, he's, he's quoting the Ten Commandments. But he then says, but I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust you've already committed adultery in your heart. Right. So, and then he talks about anger. He talks about murder. You've heard it said you shall not murder. And then he says, but if you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. So instead of doing away with the law or diminishing it, Jesus came to live it out to, his full, live it out to its fullest extent. Mm-hmm. He says, if you've looked at a woman lustfully or a man lustfully, or if you've been angry with your brother, guess what? You've already broken those laws, the law of adultery and the law of murder in your heart. In other words, it's not so much the external physical outward act. It's the intent of the heart and the mind and the conscience. So, Nick, um, we'll need to go to some music in a minute. But before we do, both Paul and Jesus, Paul is saying, hey, something's been nailed to the cross and, and, and no longer needed. Jesus is saying, well, hey, the Ten Commandments are, are around for for all time, he's come to fulfill them. They're not in disagreement. And so we need to understand what was nailed to the cross, and we'll look at that shortly. But we also need to have an understanding of what the law actually is. And I'm just going to say this, and then maybe if we go to some music. To the Jews that were living in Jesus' time, the word law meant not only the Ten Commandments, but the entire Old Testament scriptures. Mm Mm-hmm. So they thought of law as, as the Torah and certainly the first five books of their, their Bible and, and often even the entire scriptures. But they also saw that uh, the word law also referred to God's Ten Commandments as given in stone in Exodus 20. So when we're reading the Bible today and we read the word law, we need to understand that the law can mean different things. There is the law, but there are different categories of law, and maybe we can look at that when we come back from the break. Yes, absolutely. Let's take a short break right here now, and this is Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. Stay with us, and we'll be back shortly.
Listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Nick Rita and our co-host today is uh, Pastor David Butcher. We are talking about what are God's instructions for my life. David, just before the break, we were mentioning about the importance of God's law. But we are talking about here that... Uh, You know, as we read in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and Colossians, uh, that some laws are completed and some are valid. Now, even as the song said, uh, ancient words ever true, you know, we are going to look back in Scripture, anyone in the Old Testament, to understand how this parallel very well with the New Testament, even though we may think, okay, we are uh, Christians of the New Testament and everything from the Old Testament is done away. That's not what the Bible says. Is that, David? That, what you say is absolutely true, Nick, absolutely true. So in the, um, in the Bible, as we said, the Bible that the Jews had in Jesus' day, the Old Testament, the same Old Testament we have today, um, Often um, when people were talking about the law, it could refer to the first five books of the Old Testament. It could be used to refer to the entire Old Testament, or it could be used to refer to specific laws, such as the Ten Commandments. And if we don't know and understand by context what it's actually talking about, we may read um, this and think, oh, it's all the Ten Commandments. It's all Mm. talking about the Ten Commandments that they're done away with. And that's where we can fall into error. To give you a bit of an example, Nick, of some of the different laws, um, if our listeners were to uh, turn in their Bibles, and I know they probably can't, but if they were able to turn in their Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, uh, in Exodus chapter 20 we have God um, giving what we know as the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And the Ten Commandments, you know, not to uh, have any other gods before him, not to take God's name in vain, um, not to make um, graven images, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, honouring your parents, not murdering, not killing, uh, not committing adultery, all of these sorts of things, honouring your parents. These are what we call the Ten Commandments. Yes. Now, another way of referring to these is that they are the moral law of God and they are his standard for living for his people. Mm-hmm. But then when we go further on, and this is God giving his guidebook, if you like, 
um, like the user manual for a car. When we go further on in Exodus, and remember, God's people have been slaves in Egypt. And now only a couple of months later in freedom, God gives them the rule book or the guidebook for life, the Ten Commandments, but then he gives other laws. In Exodus 21 and 22, if you scan those chapters or even the chapter headings, we will find that uh, what God is giving there are a, a different category of laws, and these are what we would call civil laws, mm-hmm. how, to, um, how to live, how to go about living in life. And if you like, um, these civil laws are amplification or the application of the Ten Commandments. And some of them are a lot like the laws we actually have today. Right. Yes. And, you know, some people have estimated, Nick, that there are about 35 million laws in some countries. So you've got the Ten Commandments, God's moral law. That's a category. But then you've got another category of the law, which is what we would call the civil laws or the civil category, which expands upon and applies the Ten Commandments, puts it into more practical and specific language, if you like. Mm -hmm. And so an example of that is Exodus 21 and 22, civil laws. But then if you were to go uh, to the book of uh, Leviticus, the book after Exodus, and you were to look at a number of chapters, and there are some also in, um, in, uh, in Exodus, but you've got other laws or a different category in Leviticus 11 through to Leviticus 15. Leviticus 11, it talks about certain foods which should and should not be eaten, clean and unclean. Yes. It talks about things such as leprosy and what to do. You know, people need to be in isolation. Now, I guess millions of us are living in isolation across Australia at the moment, correct? Mm. In quarantine. Mm. So there are different laws given here. Some of them are health laws. But then there are other laws given in Leviticus, and I can think of um, uh, Leviticus 23, for instance, where there are different laws and rituals given, and uh, these laws are what we would call ceremonial laws. Okay. And an example of some of the ceremonial laws are things such as a lot of the sacrifices that were uh, made, you know, all the animal sacrifices. So the four categories, if you like, of the law... One is the moral law, the Ten Commandments, that express God's character, Mm. which many of the nation's laws are based on. Then you have um, the civil laws or category, which amplifies and puts into practical language and examples the Ten Commandments, the moral law. Then you have health laws, such as, you know, quarantine when there's an infection uh, and a a sickness such as leprosy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and and they show how to live healthfully. Then you have the final category, the ceremonial category, which is dealing with um, rituals and sacrifices and all those sorts of things, uh, sacrifice and killing of animals. So when we say, well, what law was done away with, I want to suggest to you that it can't be the moral law. It can't be the Ten Commandments because... Um, they can't be the ones that were nailed to the cross because our judicial system is largely based on them. It's a reflection of God's character. It can't be the civil uh, category of laws because they're an an expansion of the Mm -hmm. Ten Commandments. It can't be the health laws because we have some of those same health laws today, quarantine, isolation, hygiene, 
all of those sorts of things. And so that only leaves one category of laws that could have been done away with or nailed to the cross, and that is the ceremonial category of laws. And it makes sense. It makes sense, Nick, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Why do you think it makes sense that it's these ceremonial uh, category of laws that were done away with? Uh, David, just a quick look at that. Uh, when we think of the um, uh, life of Jesus and then the death of Jesus, uh, we can read in the Bible that few things happened there when Jesus died. The sacrificial system, yeah, there's no need of another lamb to be sacrificed because the lamb of God was sacrificed. And also the priesthood, interesting enough, that the, the Bible says that the, the priest tore apart his clothes. And, and he, the, the curtain yes. in the temple was torn from top to bottom, wasn't it? Separating the, the two compartments in, in the Jewish sanctuary or temple. Yes, which again I was uh, referring to the um, sacrificial law. I think you're spot on, Nick, because... The Israelites, and, and which came into the Jewish nation, were looking for a Messiah to come. And um, they were sacrificing animals, uh, showing that the wages of sin is death. When we break God's law, death results. Mm-hmm. And um, they had to bring a substitute, a lamb. The lamb had to be innocent. It was guilt-free. And yet the person that sinned had to bring a substitute, uh, an innocent, uh, pure lamb without blemish that would take upon itself substitutionary as, uh, and become the sacrifice for the sinner. All right. And that was sacrificed and killed and its blood was taken. And that was pointing forward thousands of years forward in time to Jesus who would come. And in John one twenty nine, John the Baptist at Jesus' baptism sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes they, away the sin the of the world. Of man. Yeah. So Jesus was the Lamb of God. So when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, there was an earthquake, the temple curtain was ripped. Um, no longer do we need to sacrifice animals. No longer do we need all of those ceremonial laws because they all had their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Correct. Yep. And, and let's read those verses again in Colossians 2:13 to 17. It says, And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that were against us, mm-hmm. which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is Christ. Now, these things such as food and drink, they were tied around festivals. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Leviticus 23, it gives you some of these ceremonial festivals. And um, these ceremonies like uh, Passover and uh, Feast of Weeks and Pentecost, etc., and Feast of Trumpets, they were ceremonial events and they were called Sabbaths even though they weren't part of the weekly Sabbath. Oh, right. So when Paul talks about um, let no one judge you in drink regarding a festival, these are ceremonial, or a new moon or Sabbaths, these ceremonial Sabbaths such as Pentecost and Passover, etc., he says they're a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. All of these ceremonial uh, events and sacrifices, etc., pointed forward. They were shadows pointing forward to Jesus mm-hmm. himself. 
Mm-hmm. How do we know that? I don't know, Nick, whether you've got Hebrews 10 verse 1 there. Hebrews 10 verse 1. Verse 1. Let me see if I... Uh, yes. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. So the author of Hebrews is talking about these sacrifices that were continual, how they could never, um, they could never, they were a shadow of something to come. Mm-hmm. They could never be the ultimate fulfillment. That was in Jesus Christ. And so it's uh, these sacrifices in Hebrews 10, 1, and these ceremonial aspects of the law that the author says in Hebrews 10 are a shadow of things to come. Yes. And they had their fulfillment in Christ. We no need, no longer need to sacrifice a lamb, for instance. And it's interesting because um, if we're not saved by keeping the law, well, then do we really need to keep it? And Paul in Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Right. And, and Nick, I guess it's be when we experience the grace and the love of Jesus, when we accept him, as our saviour and invite him into our life, he gives us his Holy Spirit. In fact, in Ezekiel 36, God promises that he'll give us a new heart and put his spirit within us. He'll take out our heart of flesh, a heart of stone, and give us a heart of flesh. And he says, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my laws and my judgments. So it is God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, once we accept Jesus as our saviour, that gives us the power to keep his law, mm-hmm. not to be saved, but it's the fruit of salvation. Okay, uh, the law of God is perfect, having Jesus living within us. That's and, exactly right. And then we don't need to keep the law ourselves, but because Jesus is in us, that's an expression of our relationship with Jesus. I believe this is important to notice. Absolutely. And so that's why in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus can say this to his followers. And this is on the night of his arrest, Hmm. the night that he is um, uh, taken before the the Jewish uh, kangaroo court, if you like, before the high priest and Caiaphas, where they're setting him up. The night that Judas betrays him in the Garden of Gethsemane, before that occurs, Jesus says to his followers, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. So we can never keep the commandments to be saved because they cannot save us. They're not designed to save us. Instead, Mm. they're designed to show us our filthiness, our wickedness, our sinfulness, show us how dirty we are and drive us to the Savior. Law and grace, law and grace go together. Where, where law abounds, grace abounds much more. Yes. And so when we invite Jesus into our hearts, when we accept his salvation, he gives us a new heart. He puts his spirit within us. And in Hebrews 8.10, uh, quoting from the Old Testament, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Amen for that. Great. Um, David, this was um, almost like a marathon trying to, you know, to present in in um, a little bit, you know, the importance of the law of God, not as we think that um, if we live and ob- obey God, uh, we are legalists. No, we are children of God who will dwell into the law of God and um, make understand of it and then practice it every day. Our time is almost up. Uh, uh, David, we'll have maybe a minute or two just to conclude today. What would you like to just say in a couple of words? Well, I'd like to challenge our listeners, actually, if um, this presentation, this topic, it has been clear to you, if it's clear to you that God has designed us and created us to live life abundantly as he wants us to live. If it's clear to you that uh, God's law, and I'll talk here his moral law, the Ten Commandments, is uh, an expression of God's character, it is holy, it is just and true. If that's clear to you and if it's your desire through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through a new heart and a new mind, that you want to live life to the full and keep God's law through his power, not to be saved, but because you are saved. If that's your desire, I would challenge you and invite you to text into our number 0488 880811. That's 0488 880811. If you believe that in following God and um, living and following his law through his power will give you a better life, a more fulfilled life, I would invite you to text 0488 880811 and may God bless you. And we invite our listeners to join us again next time when we are going to talk a little bit more about how do I commit myself to God. Uh, Pastor David, would you like just in a few words uh, close with prayer, please? Father in heaven, we want to thank you that uh, you have given us your spirit to change our hearts, to convict us of sin, and to give us the way forward. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and his salvation, who through alone we are saved. We thank you, Lord, as we see Jesus, we see the holiness of God, and you want us to live healthily and happily, and so we want to keep your law, Lord, through your spirit. May that be our desire not to be saved, but as evidence that we are saved because we're so grateful for what you've done for us. We thank you. Be with our listeners in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And may God richly bless you. Until next time, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live and I surrender
Jesus.